Hello and welcome to the Fit Over 40 podcast with me, Rob Burkhead. Today's podcast is an interview with Trinity member Dr. Alessandra Diacutis, who's a senior chartered counselling psychologist and a certified coach, where we talk all about how to manage stress, anxiety and overwhelm more effectively as a busy working woman spinning lots of plates. Despite working full-time with demanding clientele such as lawyers, bankers and management consultants, alongside raising two daughters and a family, Alessandra has seen amazing success with Trinity, losing well over a stone and maintaining it now she knows how to work with her changing body and hormones in her mid-40s. And I'm confident that her knowledge and skill set as a psychologist helped her to see such great results. So in this episode, we talk about all the different tools and tactics that you can use to manage stress, anxiety, self-sabotage, perfectionism, and many more obstacles that often trip people up on their health and fitness journeys and in life in general. It's a fascinating episode. So without further ado, let's get into today's podcast. Okay, so Dr. Alessandra, first of all, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So before we get into kind of how to manage emotional triggers better, how to manage things like psychological changes around menopause, which I know you've got loads of really, really um, useful tactics and tips to help with. I want to rewind a little bit so people can find out a little bit more about you and what kind of defines you. So I'd like to rewind a little bit. So to, to your childhood and growing up, like tell us a bit more about your, your upbringing. Like where did you grow up and what were kind of those significant moments that led you to where you are today? So I was born in Rome and uh, in Italy and uh, I grew up in a really normal family, I'd say. I, um, I have a sister and uh, mom and dad were around and uh, it's, it was very, very lovely upbringing. Um, in Rome and uh, we always had uh, you know sunshine so that helps always <laughs> and uh, and we always had a um, really good time and uh, I think what really brought me to my job was when I started working and uh, I worked as a model and uh, that's when I developed an eating disorder I was mm-hmm. uh, probably around around 17 years old and uh, I was very conscious that that was something wrong but I didn't have the courage to to do anything about it so I um I just continued to be a model and to be compared to other girls and to other people in the in the industry and that led to the eating disorder so I I had bulimia for about six months and then I realized actually no this is this cannot go on and um I sought help without my parents knowing, since I was earning quite good money, I was able to um, to afford going to see a psychologist. And that is the moment that my life completely changed because I, I realized actually there was people who listened, people who normalized my feelings and people who were able to, to be there for me. And even though my parents would have totally been there for me, I was too um, scared to worry them. So I didn't really... Um, didn't tell them until uh, about maybe three four months into the therapy and then I I told them and they were really surprised and they were like no you need to stop this job and I was like no I don't want to stop the job I just want to stop the bulimia you know so in the end um, I was able to to recover quite quickly actually within about maybe a year I was bulimia free 
this is when I realized actually there shouldn't be anyone experiences what I experienced. Um, and there should never be any other woman who has this and is alone with it. So my mission was always since then, at 17, 18 years old, um, to be a psychologist and to be a psychologist for people with eating disorders. In fact, in the end, I didn't go into that because I got a bit sidetracked. Um, so I, <laughs> I then became an air hostess <laughs> because I, I wanted to travel. I thought, you know what, I'm going to be... Um, you know, 20 soon and I want to, I want to travel a bit. So I, um, all of a sudden, I, even though I wanted to study psychology, I, I ran into an interview and my dad called me one day and he said, he said, Oh, you should go to this interview. It's about being an air hostess. And I was like, Oh, I don't really want to go. I mean, I want to be a psychologist. Um, he's like, well, but it's time for that. And, uh, I got my, you know, I got myself convinced and I went to this interview and I worked for, um, Virgin for about three years and this is how I came to the UK it was a complete um, chance because uh, they needed someone here who spoke English and French um, and Italian of course and so I came and uh, and I after about three years I got really bored and I realized actually when I was <laughs> when I was on, on the airplane I still really enjoyed talking to people and I really wanted to um, to listen to them and what it was the part of my job that I enjoyed the most. Um, and so that's when I started my training as a psychologist. And, um, and this is where I, uh, I really found my, my calling because uh, I, I initially wanted to, to make a difference for people with eating disorders. And by that time I had, I was eating disorders free. So my pull towards that wasn't um, as strong. So, I went for a general psychology, so I, uh, I started um, a psychology degree here in London and um, and then completed that and went straight into doctorate in uh, counseling psychology, uh, which is similar to, to clinical psychology. At the time, um, there was very few differences and now there isn't either. So so that's where I I began working uh, as a psychologist and I... And that was about 2006 when I qualified. So I've been working as a psychologist uh, for quite a long time. And uh, initially for the NHS, and then I, I started private practice um, about maybe 2012. And uh, since then, I've been working uh, both privately and with, for the NHS. And uh, in 2017, I stopped working for uh, the NHS and went completely private. And also trained as a coach in between. And I've been a coach for uh, organizations, training organizations to um, to better their mental health at work. And uh, this is where I am also started uh, developing an interest for occupational psychology and well-being at work. So I realized uh, when I was working in a psychiatric ward for about five years that um, the people who needed the most help, of course, were the clients or the patients but also the staff needed a lot of help. So I started developing programs for uh, staff well-being at work. And this is what led me to start my um, uh, master's in occupational and business psychology. And um, and I can go into it if you want, unless you want me to to expand on that a bit more. Did you want- I'd love you to, to talk about your experience juggling the master's alongside everything else in your life, because I think for the people listening, as I said before we started recording, quite a lot of the people we work with are doing masters or are doing um, 
additional educational training and find that balance really hard. And I know for yourself, you said even for yourself, with all your psychological knowledge, there's only so many things you can do, right? It was a little bit challenging at times. So let's talk about that part of it as well. So how you kind of juggled the the work-life balance or whatever we want to call it, the kind of... Yeah. Well, over the years, I developed um, this approach called vision and values um, approach. So um, this approach helps helped me and helps helped all of my clients so far um, to choose. They cannot possibly be everything for everyone, and they cannot possibly be, you know, fulfill all the values all at once. Um, so this is how I chose what was important for me um, at the time. So, and in terms of vision, I visualized what I wanted at the end of uh, of the masters, and I also visualized how I wanted to be, what I wanted to be, um, and how I wanted to feel throughout the experience, um, so that. Every day when I woke up, I remembered about my values and my vision, and it motivated me to continue to to be the person I wanted to be um, by simply focusing on those uh, on these values and and vision. And uh, I trained um, businesses to um, on this on this approach, and a lot of people told me how much of a difference that made to themselves to their life because. You know, values are a bit like continents. You know, if you look at the continents um, in the in the globe, you cannot really see the continents all at once. Even though you know they're there, you cannot see them all unless you can continue to spin around. And values are a bit like that. So you can only really work on one or two or maximum three values at once, because otherwise uh, you will get overwhelmed. And uh, and this is what uh, what really helped me to get through. Um, you know this. Uh, this process of the masters and but also life in general because uh, I have two daughters, two dogs, and a lovely husband. Uh, but it it is all like really time consuming. You know, working the dogs, homeschooling the girls. I did my masters during the, the lockdown. So when I first started, I didn't know there was going to be a lockdown. It was 2019, and um, for what I knew, I was going into a face to face. You know, master program, part-time master program for two years. And little did I know that in 2020 it was going to be <laughs> lockdown, homeschooling, all of that. So I was faced with that, and I I realized how important the values were and the vision during that time. Because had I not done that, I would have got completely burnt out. Because my day looked like this: I woke up in the morning, and then um, what was with my kids and homeschooling. And then about between six and eight o'clock, I would see my clients. And then in the evening, I would, I would study and then do it all over again the next day. So you can imagine how, you know, difficult that was. But I was driven, completely driven by my values, which were at the time, get this master done and uh, make a difference to people, you know, to, to widen this approach to, and have an impact on uh, a wider audience on what I found. So um, the, when I did my master's, I... Um, I proved that the well-being toolkit um, reduced stress and increased well-being just by uh, getting people to stop and think what was important to them. They realized that, you know, this is what I want to do every day and this is what I don't want to do every day. It cannot possibly be everything. So if you think about, you know, list all your, uh, all, all your roles in your life, you're, you're, like a, you're a wife, you're a mother, you're a, uh, a worker of some sort, 
for me, I was a psychologist. I'm a coach. I'm a sister. I'm uh, you know, dog walker. So there's so many things that I want to do. I'm a piano player, uh, ex obviously a, a weightlifter. Um, and uh, so there's some, so, only so many things one person can do. But can you, can I actually choose what is the most important one? So every day I want my day to be about this. And this is what I, um, I, I focus on the most. So for me at the time, it was being a, a good mother, a good wife and a good student. So that was the the three values. I was there was only so much I I could do, and I ended up getting distinction for my masters. So I was really really proud from, of myself. Obviously, I've been through a doctoral program before, and you know a degree. So I was kind of advantaged. But that was like fifteen years before. So I was you know I was a bit rusty, I must say. Um, yeah. To kind of go back into that into studying after fifteen years of yes, I had done my coaching uh, qualification, but you know, the academic part of it was not exactly, you know, that fresh. So um, quite a challenge, I'd say. Yeah, I can imagine that's quite nerve wracking. Even I'm just thinking now about I did a master's in engineering, like that was a long time ago now. Can I, could I still do it? So you had a lot of things you're juggling and you picked these, is it three values that you went with as like three hats you were going to be wearing, right? Three roles. Um, and is that what you usually recommend to people then like pick pick three is there is there like a limit to how many because obviously we can't do everything what what do you recommend in terms of number of roles people can succeed at at any one time yeah i would say it really depends on their on their stage of life and uh and on what is important to them so you know if you think about your day at the end of the day what would you what would make that day a really worthwhile day um a day that you are proud of a day that you where you feel that you really achieved something so I would go by that. Uh, and, you know, I think it's it's really difficult to choose because uh, obviously you're still going to carry on being a, a sister, a friend. A, you're still going to carry on doing all of those things. But your priority will be around those two or three. And I would say how many really depends on how time consuming they are. Because, for example, if you do like if you have like um, like a nine to five job then you have from five to whatever, whenever you go to sleep. Um, to do more but if you have a like a 9 to you know 11 p.m job then there's a limit to what you can do so it really depends on the on people's schedule and obviously that can change as well I and mean, part of my my role within organizations um, has been to to work with bankers and obviously they have bankers lawyers all the people who have high work in high stress um, environment and um even though they had really stressful jobs and they had like um, 12, 14, 16 hours a day job, um, they still could choose within those times to have breaks and, and have a manual breaks, for example, so that you pick what kind of things you want to do, you know, on a break. For example, like I have a client who has a, who loves guitar, loves cycling and uh, also loves photography. So you'd have like uh, his uh, cycling shorts you'd have his guitar and then you'd have his um um what was it his, his camera yeah next to him so whenever you had a 15 minute break he could choose to to use one of those things to go for like a 15 20 minute cycle somewhere or pick up his guitar and do a song or uh, you know go out and take some photographs so or, or tidy up his photography albums for example so you know, this is really 
it possible still if you have a really really high pressure job to still choose to have those breaks and to to have like a 10 minute for example when i um when i did my masters i um i started playing piano i don't know why i did that but you know when you say uh, give give something to do to a busy person that's when they do it right so i actually played more piano then than i do now <laughs> it's kind of it's interesting because i I, re- I remember i wanted to to have those 10 minutes a day and again you know this wasn't my value so if it didn't get done then it wasn't the end of the world but i still you know managed to do it 10 minutes a day and um and it didn't have to take long. It didn't matter what I did in those 10 minutes. It didn't matter how long, you know, how much of those notes I hit right. Um, you know, I, I did it. And it was it was really quite, you know, satisfying to know that I could play a song that I liked by the end of the year or two songs that I liked by the end of the year. Um, so I would say really that the, the number matters, but it, it also matters, you know, about what, what you actually... Uh, want to have at the end of the day that you've achieved what you what you want to visualize by the end of the day uh, you have achieved so you are not um, choosing according to you know whatever societal pressures might be but you're choosing according to what you want and what your values are and what your um, what your vision is or who you want to be every day how you want to wake up the next day what kind of intention you want to be having for the next day so um, that's how that's how what I would recommend. Yeah. And how have these shifted for you? So I know obviously you've had some great results with Trinity as well, um, in terms of weight loss, in terms of getting fitter, getting stronger. Like did after the masters, did you then kind of like reevaluate where you were and decide to set some new like a new vision and new values? Like how did that work? Yes. So uh, like I said before, there was there was those three values, uh, but exercise wasn't in there. Even though I exercise every day, I exercise every single day during the lockdown, and it was always something that I did anyway. Uh, so it was not a new habit for me. Um, I've always exercised every day, um, so that's that's not been uh, uh, apart from Sunday actually, because uh, Sunday is a day rest, day rest, day of rest. But you know, this was um, something that uh, I did you know, anyway. But when uh, when the masters ended, um, I realized actually, even though I exercise every day, I still put on weight because all of the other things were not right, like the sleep, um, the mainly the sleep really, and the stress levels as well. Because even though I I did it, I was still I was still quite stressed really. If you you know heard my schedule, it was I, I felt stressed just talking about it really. You know, um, but obviously I had no control over that. I had to get that done. Um, so after the masters, I, I said to myself, look, you know, these were the values that I focused on before. Now it's time to get my physique back to where it was before. And and that that was my value and it has been since really for the past couple of years. And since I, I joined Trinity, you know, it's literally skyrocketed to um, to the main value, really. Um, and I think I didn't know how much I... Um, cared about what my body looked like and felt like until I joined Trinity because I thought oh, I need to do this but obviously it's not really the, the main thing and then I think joining Trinity has made me realize how much of a priority it was and it is and um, since January I lost like seven or eight kilos almost um, 
and uh, yes, pr- prioritizing my health has, has really made a difference. And also the type of exercise I did, I realized it was not right for my age. Um, and I didn't know that before. So I, I can, even though I exercise every day, it was mainly cardio, some strength, but not much. And obviously we know now from uh, you, you tell me that, uh, that cardio actually makes you put on weight and, and you lose muscle as well. So having learned on that, I also were, was able to focus on other aspects of my life, like the nutrition and stress levels. So, um, yeah, I think all of those things, um, came to the, as a priority then, you know, when I joined Trinity and after the masters. So that, that was really, I'm very grateful to you guys for that because uh, I wouldn't have, you know, put all those things together. I wouldn't have made uh, all of those changes to my diet as well in terms of like high protein levels if it weren't for your knowledge. And uh, yeah, I'm very and I think grateful. this position you're in a brilliant position, a brilliant place to to talk about what we're going to talk about next, which is kind of the, a lot of the challenges we see for members on the program or for people trying to lose weight in their forties and their fifties around menopause or alongside a really busy career or both. Um, because you're, you know, you're a living, breathing, walking example of someone who's, who's done this. You're still working in a high pressure job. Um, you're still, you know, you've got yourself, your family, you've got your dogs and you saw these brilliant results and you put the work in, obviously you changed your approach a little bit, but there's a lot of challenges that come along the way, right? It's not always plain sailing. Maybe, um for some people it's easier than others but i think we're going to talk about a lot of the different ones with things like perfectionism things like you know not not having any tactics to deal with stress from work can lead to overeating or um negative thoughts can creep in like you know i've i've messed up today so what's the point in continuing so let's let's jump into these because i think you obviously will have used these tools i'm sure throughout your journey for yourself um, but for people listening, then they can take these away and, and apply them if this is the challenge yeah. they have. So the first one I want to jump into is kind of like perfectionism. And I see this as either perfectionism or like an all or nothing mindset. I think a lot of the clients we work with have done very well in their careers. They may have done masters or PhDs like yourself, and they've, they've had this very high standard for themselves, but it, it's not necessarily helpful in terms of trying to be fitter and healthier. A lot of the time they have, but they make one choice they perceive as bad. And then, um, they, they think they're going to fail. Like they, they go, what's the point? I've messed up. Um, I've eaten something bad. And then they spend, you know, one, two days, or maybe even a week or some people, it can be weeks or months, then not trying, not looking after themselves because they think they've messed up. So how, how can people deal with perfect, that perfectionism that is so common at the moment? Yes. So um, I don't know if you've ever heard of um, uh, the growth mindset. I'm sure you might have. So this fantastic psychologist, Carol Dweck, has an um, American psychologist, has designed, has written a book called Mindset. And she lists for, she li- for the whole book, pretty much, she lists examples of people who have literally turned their lives around by just changing their mindset. And I would say that perfectionism is the, is the product of the opposite, which is a fixed mindset. So a fixed mindset is where you are thinking that you are just uh, in a certain way, like you're just a perfectionist, you're never going to change. While a growth mindset is where you choose to think that you're getting better at something and you you cannot be perfect, you know, at something straight away. You know, nothing comes without practice, as we know, with exercise and we know with... um, 
with lots of different examples. Um, so I would say the first thing is the mindset. So when you think about yourself as someone who is uh, learning something as opposed to someone who is just in a certain way and will never change, that in itself has, uh, you know, paves the ground uh, for your continued progress. And that continued progress can be seen through consistency. And consistency of what? I would say the first thing is about being aware of your thoughts. So one thing I didn't share about myself is that when I was about 20 years old, I ran into, I was dating a guy who um, did uh, meditation. And I still thank him for it today because he had introduced me to one of the most important aspects of my well-being, which is meditation. And why is it important? Because what happens is with meditation, so uh, you develop awareness. So what is meditation or mindfulness? They're the same thing, pretty much. One is the lay term, another one is the Buddhist, if you like, term. So in mindfulness, you are aware of your thoughts as they happen. So when you develop that awareness, then you are no longer at the mercy of your thoughts. And you are able to become aware of your thoughts so that you're able to catch yourself when you're being a perfectionist, to catch yourself when you're being negative about yourself. And then you're able to then make a different choice. So with mindfulness, you know, we know that has so many benefits um, to well-being uh, from immune function to, um, as we say, improved awareness, uh, but also choices that we make. You know, if we're more mindful, we're able to then see a choice in the moment. So you're never really um, in the next moment. You're in this moment. And uh, we know that if we think about the past, the past is gone, right? If we think about the future, the future hasn't happened yet. So how, all we really have is right now. So if we're able to be in right now, most of the time, then we're able to catch ourselves um, when we are thinking about things that in a way that isn't helpful to us for our long-term well-being and and say well stop and think one second you know how can i employ a different perspective on this on this matter um even i see it with my children i like you know when they do their homework um they're like oh, i can't do this mom you know i just i can't be bothered you know i, I can't do maths it's not it's not me just can't do it they're like, well you cannot do that this yet because you're still learning it. You're still learning and you make mistakes and making mistakes is the bread and butter of learning and learning is the bread and butter of growth mindset where you're continuously learning about yourself. So in terms of the perfectionism, I would say the first thing is to become aware of your thoughts because the thoughts are connected to your feelings and your feelings are, correct, are connected to your actions. And if you think in a certain way, you're going to act in a certain way, and feel in a certain way. But if you change that from the uh, thought perspective, then you, you, you'll be able to make different choices and have different consequences entirely. So it's not a, you know, a process that will, will be done overnight. It's a process that requires a lot of consistency and a lot of um, self-compassion, I would say, because, you know, what, you know, if you think about yourself, like you think about a, a child, for example, you wouldn't just go and tell the child like, oh, you're rubbish at that. You wouldn't just go and do that, right? So why would you do that to yourself? Um, so why is that one rule for a child and a different rule for yourself? 
So I think maybe start treating yourself like you would treat maybe a small child, um, someone that you don't, you know, you would never speak uh, badly to or speak negatively to. And uh, so I think the consistency of it is what really will be um, creating good results, you know, in terms of like the consistency in a meditation and thinking of meditation as something that happens in those maybe 10 minutes, 20 minutes, five minutes, three minutes, you know, maybe starting that really slowly and building it up to, um, to an amount that you're happy with. And then thinking of the meditation as a starting point for the rest of the day or the, an intention for the rest of the day, the, the following day, if you're doing it in the evening, so that, you know, meditation becomes, or life becomes an extension of the meditation where you're observing what's going on and you are rea not reacting, but responding. So when you're reacting, you're like, like this, but when you're responding, you're thinking about it. You're not reacting, um, you know, impulsively. So I would say the consistency with, um, with becoming aware of your thoughts and also the consistency with meditation. And finally, not last but not least, um, it's really important to write down things. And why is that? I mean, it's, not, it's not for everybody, but I would say that if it's not for you, you should really try it because it is um, science proves that writing down has a more lasting effect, writing down thoughts and feelings has more of a lasting effect than if you talk about them. So why is that? Because you are creating, you're creating a emotional memory of what you're writing and of what happened. And so once you've done that, it's on paper, it's no longer in your mind. And secondly, if you employ that uh, alternative thought technique, so that thought challenging technique, um, then you'll be able to to counteract that thought and to challenge that thought in a way that will stay more, will stay longer with you. And of course, the same thought might happen over and over again, the same situation might replay, you know, over and over again. But then that warrants another thought, um, you know, diary, because you will you will then run into a different situation and each situation is slightly different. So, you, you know, you will then be able to learn something different from each situation about yourself and what you've done well. And when I go to bed every night, before I go to bed every night, I write what I've done well because um, then, you know, my day looks different. You know, if I then up until that point being a bit stressed and then I think, well, actually, even though I've been a bit stressed, I have actually done A, B, and C, and D, and I realized how much I've done in a day. And I'm like, well, why did I think that I was stressed? I was maybe a bit stressed doing it, but I still did it. And I still, maybe I can th think about ways in which I can pace myself a bit more tomorrow. And then I write an intention about what I'm going to be like tomorrow that's different from today. I think I love that. That's one of the you will know this obviously from phase two of our program one of the main focuses is it's all about mindset really but stacking the wins up because i think mo most of us immediately just go to problem solving and go what's wrong i think it's the general society and go oh that's wrong that wasn't good that that wasn't good and we we just start doing that and what we try and do with that win or with <clears throat> what you're talking about writing down your wins is i talk about stacking rocks on the other side of like a set of scales like lawyer scales because most of us are so leaning so far one way, I don't know if you find the same thing, that we end up believing we're way worse than we are and then we give up trying because we think we're failing. Uh, do you see that in, in clients as well? People just sort of end up procrastinating or 
stop doing something because they perceive themselves absolutely we always have a you know quite a, a lot of my clients do that and have a skewed ver- version of themselves or a view of themselves when actually when if you if they were to ask somebody else about you know their view or tell somebody else about how they view themselves those people be horrified you know i mean like really you think that about yourself when actually when you look from the outside um, you see a completely different view. But when you're inside yourself, you can end up with um, those negative thoughts building up over the years and becoming what we call in psychology core beliefs. So they're beliefs about yourself that become that probably are rooted around some childhood experiences. Um, for example, for me, I can definitely see that you know the never enough was one of the things that messages that unfortunately my parents did give me and um and i didn't really you know think they were doing this consciously at all and most of the time it's never intended that way um sometimes it's it is but some, most of the time it's not intended that way but i realized that the more i i gave into that voice um the more i would be self-sabotaging or not being my best my own best friend so i realized that i you know I had to really question those thoughts. And the first thing, you know, that they tell you when you start playing, you know, trained as a psychologist, um, especially in cognitive behavioral therapy, is that you are not your thoughts. And this is really, you know, was quite a breakthrough for me when I first, um, you know, heard about this. I was like, what? I am not my thoughts? Uh, of course, I'm my thoughts. I, I think my thoughts are, I am my thoughts. But actually, no, they they are transient um facts or not facts maybe transient events i would say transient events in your uh, in your mind that will come and will go and we have up to sixty thousand of those thoughts every single day and they're pretty much the same day to day i would say maybe from week to week they might change but we kind of try to we we tend to preoccupy ourselves with quite similar things every day so imagine the impact of you challenging every single thought that you had by yourself and about the situation you're about to deal with um, on a larger scale if you are able to do this every day with every single thought that you have and you think and you might think well i don't have time for that that's fine because you have sixty thousand thoughts they're pretty much always the same ones so you don't really need a lot of time you need a little bit of time in the evening maybe five minutes ten minutes to challenge the main thought the one that bothered you the most and then you can you know, maybe do the next one the following day. It doesn't have to take a lot of time. And the more you do this, you, the more written down, writing it down, the more you'll be able to do this in your mind. And it becomes like second nature. Um, and I, I realized that, you know, a lot of a lot of my clients don't know this and uh, they don't realize the power that they have inside of themselves to do this and the control that they could potentially have over their, you know, the way they think, act and feel. Um, if they apply this method over and over again. Because if you think about it, you know, the result of negative thoughts, well, the the product of negative thoughts is the accumulation of those negative thoughts and experiences over the years. So if you sum all those experiences up, then the core belief, like I'm not enough, for example, will will be produced. But if you you then, you know, sum up the good um, perspectives that you'd start building over the years, then, you know, a more positive core belief will be built. I am enough as I am. I I am I can try this again. Okay, this time it didn't work. I I will uh, I will do better next time. So 
I didn't do this today. Okay, is it the end of the world? I could do, I'll put it in the next day to-do list. It's fine. Or maybe it wasn't to do with my values. So that's absolutely even more fine, you know? So I think it's, um, it's really a matter of continuing to be consistent with, uh, with that uh, thought-challenging technique. And I think it's also important to think about your physical sensations because sometimes, say you'll be in a conversation with someone and you get a physical sensation and you don't know what that is. But unless you then have recognized that in, a, in, a, in relation to your thoughts, then you will know what that physical sensation was about. So, for example, if I am anxious, I will get sweaty hands. I know that sweaty hands is anxiety. And I know that if, um, if I'm talking to someone and I'm getting sweaty hands, it means I'm, going, I'm being anxious. So I can do something about it. So the physical sensations are, are you know, the body is a real teller of, um, of how you feel. And, uh, and then if you connect those two, then you always be, even if you're in a conversation, you'll always be aware and in control because you will be able to, to do something about it as things happen. That makes sense. Yeah. Definitely. And I think from my understanding for a lot of our clients experiencing menopause symptoms as well, that some of those can be maybe random, but some of the vasomotor symptoms, so like hot flushes, night sweats, things like that, they can actually, especially hot flushes, they can be linked to um, your mental state. So anxiety, I think, is, a, is can be quite a strong trigger or, or things of overwhelm or stress. So it often seems to happen at the worst possible time for people because of that, like in a meeting where you're presenting and you're stressed, you, as you said, you probably already would get a response, but it's a much more, dramatic response to the change in hormones. And is, is there anything people can do in the moment to kind of manage that? Definitely. I think that's, uh, you know, I think in the moment it's quite difficult, but it's still possible. But I also think you can do something before, but let's think of the moment first. So in the moment, I would say really focusing on your breathing. Like for example, at the moment I'm breathing deeply, but you're not seeing this, are you? So you can actually, you're not seeing this, but, you know, a lot of meetings are, are online anyway. So a lot of the times people don't have to see that you're breathing deeply, but I am right now breathing, breathing deeply. And uh, maybe you can take a pause as well. And really the breathing is the first thing that needs to be put into um, the right, the uh, needs to be slowed down. Because uh, before you got the hot, the hot flashes, you probably would have noticed other, you know, things, other symptoms or other uh, bodily sensations that maybe you you ignored because um, they weren't as you know I guess evident as an, a hot flush so um, as visible so I would say the first thing is the breathing so you can still talk and breathe and take a pause take a glass of water and really start uh, if you're in a conversation for example you're in a meeting. Uh, the first thing I would do is to ask a question about uh, to somebody else, so that you are not, you know, the focus is no longer on you. And if you like, if you are in the middle of the presentation, for example, and you're presenting and you're getting a hot flush, I would say, okay, let's take a pause now and think about what you've learned so far and what kind of things you you've taken so far from what I've said. Um, and you know, you can put this in the chat. I'll give you five. Now you've got you've got minutes. You've got time to then shift the focus from yourself onto the other person. And a lot of people who have hot flashes also maybe experience some anxiety symptoms and maybe some social anxiety symptoms or some maybe feeling of 
self-conscious about themselves. So the first thing is to really shift the focus from yourself to somebody else. So if the if you're at the beginning of that um, episode, then you start focusing on other people straight away as opposed to yourself. Because what the, the anxiety response happens in the moment is everybody's looking at me. When actually that's not necessarily the case. I mean, if you're doing a presentation, yes, people are looking at you. But, you know, if you're able to then shift your focus to somebody else, then you're no longer worrying about your own thoughts in the moment. So you shift the focus to other, to somebody else and you start, you know, the, the conversation with other people and involving other people in the in the conversation. So you have a break and you can do your breathing in the, in, in the middle of this. The other thing you can do before, so this is in the moment, before that, um, you can start a list of triggers. I think this can be quite unpleasant for some people, but... Um, it's, uh, it's really important to know your triggers because you know where you get prepared, otherwise you get caught out. So if you know that you know a presentation, for example, is your trigger, then you write it down and you think, okay, what am I going to do before the presentation to make sure that I'm not getting triggered in the moment? What exactly could happen in the presentation that will you know, trigger me? And then you write an ideal response to that trigger. So part of my well-being toolkit, which is the vision and values well-being toolkit, is the first thing I, I ask people is to, first of all, get their vision and values into perspective. So they're thinking about how they like to embody those visions and embody those values every day. And then after that, I ask them to create a list of triggers, simply because then you are more in control. When you, are, when you know your triggers, you are more in control. Like, for example, I know that homework with my children is a trigger for me. Oh, my God, it drives me insane every day. <laughs> so I know that that, you know, is going to trigger me. So I take some long deep breaths before the homework starts. And I make myself a nice cup of tea. And then I sit down and I'm like, okay, I'm doing this. And I'm going to be the best mama, I, the most, best mother I can be in this moment. And I visualize myself being nurturing and encouraging and um, not getting, you know, I guess being patient and calm with my with my children. So similarly, if you write a list of triggers for your presentation, for example, you know that somebody asking you a question, for example, could be a trigger. And then, you know, in that moment, you need to take a deep breath and really listen to that question and be 100 percent focused on that person and what they're saying as opposed to focused on you and what you are feeling. So uh, the other thing I ask people to do is to think about an ideal response to each trigger. And that will help people to realize, well, actually, what, what would they like to do instead? You know, what would be the, the other ways they'd like to, to feel in that moment? So if, the, say, the hot flush happens in a moment where they are really embarrassed, you know, how would they like to feel instead? Would they like to feel proud of themselves? And what kind of things are they proud of that they could, you know, think about in that moment uh, that would take them away from that hot flush, which at, the, at that moment is probably the only thing they can think of. So, um, so the ideal response helps uh, people to, uh, to, first of all, think about a way that it would like to respond to that trigger. And then it helps them to think about what kind of person they want to be in that moment, what kind of uh, value they want to embody in that moment, what kind of person, um, personal qualities they want to, you know, show in that moment. 
so that it's um it's not about what they don't want it's about what they want so um and finally i get people to think about the resources what resources do they have already because you know when you said about the winds um you know people have qualities and resources they don't even know they have you know i, re- I remember when you know work your workouts you always say when you think you can't do something uh, you can't do it anymore you've always got 40 percent more you said that right in one of your workouts so and it's the same with psychological resources you know what are they what are the resources like podcasts like this could be a resource that people listen to when they need that um psychological sos uh, it could be a meditation session there are plenty meditation um podcasts where people have an sos after for example they got angry um or an SOS um, after they got really anxious. So this could be another resource. It could be that, you know, their own ability to contain themselves it could be the breathing, like you could do like the box breathing. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of the box breathing? Yeah. yeah. Like, there's lots of different ways, aren't there? Like four seconds in, yeah. four second hold, four second out, yeah. four second hold, repeat, is that right? Yes, that's right. And you go around the box, so in, out, in, out, four times um three or four times and now you could do the the hand breathing so you go up a breath and then down a breath up and um so and you go in and out and all of those breaths so as you track your for the people listening because not everyone's going to see you're tracking your fingers and you're breathing in as you go up slowly a finger and then down is that right as you go down exactly the whole hand yes i've not heard of that one that's cool Yes, I do this with my children because it's quite visual. So they can, mm. you know, the box can be quite uh, difficult to imagine while the fingers are right there in front of you and accessible to most people. So, um, uh, yeah, it can be quite uh, quite useful to have that. So, um, yeah, so I was, uh, yes, so the, the resources. So if we go back to the resources, it could be a friend. It could be calling a friend. It could be a resource. It could be... Um, you know, writing, journaling could be a resource. Um, there's so many that people could list. Um, it could be just stopping and, and not doing anything for five minutes. <laughs> you know, stop and think, what is my what is my choice right now? What is my need? A lot of people forget about their needs because there are so many other people's other things to do. And then that like basic needs are not met maybe they go through like an 11 hour day and they, they haven't eaten or like you know things like that can be really easily done um so maybe to just stop and think could be a really good resource stop and think what is my need simple question what is my need um and uh yeah i think it's a it's a really important so the well-being toolkit really lists all of those things um first the vision and values then the triggers and ideal responses Obviously, the positive self-talk goes in there as well, um, like we, we discussed earlier. And then your resources, the things that... And I would say that the final thing I would say is, you know, what are the early signs? Because, for example, you're in that presentation or you're in that meeting and the hot flushes you know, started. But, you know, chances are that there, there, there would have been other things that happened before that maybe signaled that hot flush. And... Quite uh, similarly, there could be other things that signal anxiety or low mood. There could be many things that could signal that before it happens. 
So to become aware of that, and this is why meditation is so important, to become aware of what are the early warning signs that a hot flush is about to come. So you can actually then maybe excuse yourself, go to the toilet or something like that if you're like in a meeting, not presenting maybe. or you know. So maybe there are some early warning signs if you educate your body or if you listen and observe your body to to see what those early warning signs are then you'll be able to i guess learn more about your body and your mind and how they connect and how they uh they work so that the more educated you are about your own body the more choice better choices you can make in the future so you're never really at the mercy of the next um hot flush if that makes sense and you mentioned your well-being toolkit. Um, so this is a combination of the, is this right, the vision, the values, the triggers and the resources, uh, these kind of things, which sound really exciting to me. Maybe I'm a nerd, but, <laughs> you know, I, I know everything stems from the mindset. If you want to lose weight, if you want to thrive in your career or as a parent, as you know, as well, like I, I personally believe it all starts with the mind and and those visions, the values, all of those things are part of that. So where can people go um, if they want to get that? Can they get that for free, that well-being toolkit? Or is that like a paid resource? How does that work? So they can come to me for a coaching session and uh, or a psychology session uh, or both. So I do something called coaching psychology, which is a mixture of both, or they do coaching or psychology, psychological therapy. So it's, at the moment, uh, it's... Um, it's my thesis, so it's my master thesis. So it's not been yet, um, you know, it's published, but it's not yet a resource that is accessible online. So I currently teach that resource um, and in businesses, and uh, I do well-being interventions mainly in businesses and um, and individually. So they can come to me direct for that. It's not something I can. Uh, Obviously, now I've talked about it, so they can just jot down things, but um, and uh, and they can do it themselves. Um, but if they want a more in-depth um, version of it, you know, whereby you're guided um, to to discover all of those things about yourself, mainly coaching sessions with myself or uh, business uh, interventions, well-being interventions, um, it's the only way at the moment where I'm, where you can access it. I'm thinking of a or developing an app, but it's still like uh, in the pipeline. And, you know, I'm also thinking of converting what I've, um, I've written in my thesis into a book. So, but that's still things that obviously with life, you have to choose your values. And this is not the current value of mine right now. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's the reason why it's not happened yet, but that's the way to access me and my uh, well-being, vision and values, well-being toolkit at the moment. Amazing. And I'll put some links in the show notes. So if anyone's listening to the podcast, they can access those So to your website to find out um, where they can access those things. And what would be, so you said there's, is a, you've got the wellbeing, um, the toolkit for businesses. What kind of business, you know, tends to come to you or what, what do you think it's most helpful for? Because a lot of the people we work with own their own business or are in a leadership role in business. What kind of scenarios, you know, would that, would that really attract or work for? Yeah, um, it's quite a flexible tool. So it can be applied to any sort of business, really. I've started uh, testing it, first of all, on uh, bankers and lawyers uh, simply and management consultancies, simply because at the time when I started thinking of developing the toolkit, 
it was the the client group that uh, was most accessible to me at the time and i'm talking about maybe 11 12 years ago when i started uh, testing a toolkit so i've tested it for 12 you know 10 years i would say and then uh, the actual study happened in um in uh, 2021 uh, and it was the, the people I used, the participants I used for the study came from a range of backgrounds. So they came, uh, one was a like pharm- pharmacological uh, company, a small business. Um, another one was a, a bank. Uh, another one was a school. Um, so a teaching staff in the school. And um, and then there was a, another business, which, which was a... Um, management consultancy so there was quite a lot of a uh, different range of uh, of businesses and uh and school as well you know i haven't i haven't tried the you know, gp surgeries but i had uh, a couple of uh, psychologists uh, in the program themselves as participants who said that this could be some the next step yes to to roll it out to gp surgeries for for doctors and, uh, and nurses because obviously we know with covid uh, we know even before covid that health professionals are the absolute worst of looking after themselves. And so, yeah, yeah. So, um, so that's how, that's what the kind of business is. It's quite, as I said, a very flexible tool, small businesses. Sure. You know, I, I actually also rolled it out to my husband's business as a, as a you know, property services business. So it's, uh, it's, you know, any business really needs a well-being toolkit because when people are well, they are more productive. When people are happy and their values are being embodied in their everyday life at work, then you know what more can you ask from your employees? So, you know, we know increased productivity, increased well-being, and reduced stress will make uh, a worker, any worker, more productive. So, and happier. So that's uh, that was proven by my study, and um, and yeah, so that there was no real like specific business so what who i work with right now is mainly bankers and lawyers um and management consultancies but you know as i said i tested this on schools and um pharma- pharmacological companies and it, it still worked really well so um, the data shows that showed exactly a very similar you know uh result across the board different business so which makes me think that actually it doesn't matter which business yeah yeah, it sounds like something that's I'm happy about. <laughs> yeah, it sounds very versatile and something that everyone can benefit from, right? Like you said, right down to the individual, we need to have everyone feel good in ourselves. I think you need that direction and you need the the, the resources and all these things to, to manage. Like life is stressful nowadays <laughs> for anyone, let alone the, like, the clients we work with, as you know, who are typically juggling like children, maybe looking after aging parents and changes around menopause and a career there's so many different things and i think having that grounding helps them i imagine would help them get off the treadmill which so many people we work with are on where they're just kind of running on adrenaline just trying to get through the day there's no real purpose or direction anymore it's just like need to survive every single day um yes so i will send them your way i'm aware of uh conscious of the time because there's so much we can talk about i find this fascinating so i'll have to have you back on Alessandra. Uh, another time but i just want to say thank you so much uh, for what you shared today it's been really really fascinating thank you as well for having me it's been so lovely to share what i've uh what i've done so far and a bit of my about my life and 
and also to give back to Trinity for what you guys have done for me and uh, and I am uh, very grateful as well for all of that and for your amazing coaches um, so thank you so thank you for listening to today's episode of the Trinity podcast if you've enjoyed today's episode don't forget to hit that subscribe button inside your podcast app so you don't miss future shows and also please leave us a quick review it only takes two minutes we do all of these shows completely for free to help you so we'd really appreciate a quick review if it's helped you at all so thank you again so much for listening and we'll catch you next week for the next episode of the trinity podcast